Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I can't watch another version of it, especially whoever did the voice of May, because she has this tiny little voice that there's this one part where she picks up a bucket and it has a hole in it. And she goes, there's no bottom. <laughs> and like, I can't, if I hear anyone say it in any other way, I'm like, nope, that's not May. Everyone's got to think. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Fanatics. I'm Claire Kramer, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, the fabulous David Magadoff. Hi, David. Hi, Claire. And you know, wherever you're listening, that you might be, it might be midnight where you're listening to this podcast. So it's morning for us, but you know, it could be a solid 3 a.m. night shift for you. You know so what? We wherever, transcend. Time. However, why ever? Thank you for being here. <laughs> Get in your TARDIS, go back to the morning, or don't. We don't care. Uh, whatever. It's, it's five o'clock somewhere on the Fanatics podcast. Exactly. Grab yourself a cocktail. That's always welcome. Anyway, whatever time it is for you, it is now time for the new Fanatics episode. Uh, this, was a, this was a really fun episode, David. Why don't you tell a, a little bit about this? Finally, a fun episode. Yeah. Goodness, it took Jesus. this long. It's been like, you know, like ripping my heart out all these <laughs> other episodes. <laughs> Mary Chifo, you know her as Laurel in Star Trek Discovery, of course, the strong, empowered female Klingon, Girls 5 Eva, Heartbeats, The Mindy Project, and she came on to talk about something she absolutely adores, which was Studio Ghibli. And by the way, she didn't just come on to talk Studio Ghibli, Miyazaki films, we're talking Spirited Away, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke. We did it. What, Claire? We How did, did we do this one? Live. live not live streaming. Live not live on the interwebs. La actually, like, old school live in person. <laughs> we, uh, we recorded this episode live, and it was so much fun. And by live, we also mean a studio audience or an audience of stu students. <laughs> What, however you want to put it. Um, we, I like students. Students. We learn things on podcasts. They are very stu student-like. Uh, they were from the fandom world. Uh, so we had uh, leaders from all sorts of different communities within uh, fandom. You can Google fandom, learn all about them. They're a great community to deep dive into some of your absolutely favorite things. And uh, they gave us a platform to do this live podcast and have Mary on. And it was a total pleasure in 
the, the Sheraton in Universal City, California. And it was actually a really beautiful room where you got Top to look, floor, overlook baby. all of Los Angeles. <laughs> all of LA. You know, and you you forget, especially after the last couple of years. Now, David, you're better about it than I am. You do a lot of live shows. You do a lot of, you know, sketch comedy and stuff. But I, I love being on stage and it had been a while. So it was a really fulfilling experience. You know, there's something about making a joke and either having everybody laugh or not laugh, but experiencing that moment in real time that's special. And I give Mary a lot of pre- uh, props and credit, credit or crops, whatever you want to say, uh, for coming on. Studious crops. I'm loving these new words. Yeah, today. I'm just creating them <laughs> left and right. Woo! Uh, <laughs> the best is when I create a new word without meaning to or knowing I even have done so, which happens quite a bit on this podcast. But regardless, and notice I did not say irregardless, regardless, uh, it was a great live show, and Mary is phenomenal. As you said, she plays the, the strong character Laurel. David, that was interesting. That's a little soundbite. What do you consider a strong female character? Oh, my gosh. Just, I don't know, someone who stands up for what they believe in and is confident and uh, or maybe, uh, you know, has a, I don't know, what would you say? Like, uh, you know, Mother Teresa didn't say very much. Gandhi, you know, people who are also just. I don't know anything. I, I don't relate to those people at all. <laughs> Because I like to talk. You like to talk. So do I. But there are people who are strong without having the need to speak. And so, um, mm-hmm. but Laurel is on television as a character and speaks. And Mary is a wonderful Juilliard trained actress. And she she uh, brings that sort of weight to to the Klingon universe in a, in a beautiful, interesting, cool way. And so you love her. You know her. And now you're going to learn all about her love for Miyazaki, Ghibli, and all that goodness. Enjoy. You get your very own mic. Thank you. I feel like I'm in college when I was just like come in with like five bags and four liquids and like, <laughs> but that, but there's a reason for some of the things. Wait, that why I did happen. you have all the wigs in college? What was going on in college with the wigs? Oh, the wigs. Oh, uh, you said all these wigs. Oh no, all these uh, bags and water. A water. But I did. But funny, my girlfriend, she has probably a hundred wigs. Really? Yeah. So like, she needs to come on the show and talk about that. Yeah. Oh, you know what? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, we can all email her and let her know that we'd like um, her to join. You know, I am impressed with how much you carried. I saw something funny this morning, and it was, you know, a meme of a girl who this hand was down. This hand had keys dangling, phone, a coffee, something under her arm. And it was like women have been deprived of pockets for so long that we've learned to carry everything. I'm like, give it to me. Every time I go to the grocery, one trip in. Oh, yes. One trip. That's it. One trip. All of our fingers are just like very... Yeah. We just know how to hold all the things. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, we have a fun situation here for you, David, or at least it's fun for me. It's fun for me. I'm I'm into it. I like a good (laughs) guessing game. We, I know Mary's topic. I know what she's fanatical about. Uh, Mary knows her topic, obviously. I do. David does not. David is in the, uh, the dark, the mystery zone along with (laughs) you guys. So we're going to play a fun little guessing game and we're not going to do anything, um, too sophisticated. I want you guys just to shout out if you have a guess. But we're gonna. Mary's gonna give three hints about her topic, starting with pretty broad. The third hint will be pretty dialed in. We're gonna see if David or if anyone in the audience can guess what Mary is fanatical about. Okay. Now, if you are not familiar with the show, 
we have very dialed in topics. So, for example, Tony Hale came on and talked about his love of indoor malls. Indoor malls. malls. Not outdoor malls. Not outdoor mall. Atrium malls. So for Which that, I, maybe, I get, I get indoor that. Indoor malls. Yeah. yeah. Maybe one of the clues, if you were guessing Tony's topic, would have been like Cinnabon or yes. something or uh-huh. Escalator okay. or something. Yes. So um, Greg Grumberg came on, talked about his love of Ford Broncos all the way back the 60s Bronco, the 90s Bronco to the 2019 mm-hmm. new release. So the topics are pretty... Julie Benz talked about her love of The View. She the does. TV show, The View. She loved The View. So oh, and I guess the last one we have to say, we did a Dexter run and Michael C. Hall came on and talked about his love of chip gains from Fixer Upper. So that is personally one of my favorite episodes. Big Mary, man crush. Big man crush a, on chip gains. A bromance <laughs> happening there now. They're fr- they, they connected through the show. They did. They did. We <gasps> well done. A, we made a connection. So fanatics puts makes love happen. Yes, so, great. Uh, it does. You're welcome. It's a matchmaking podcast. It um, is. <laughs> so very the broadest hint about your topic, and we're going to see what David and you guys can figure out based on this first hint. All right, um, I'm going to say broadest. Um, Throwing there's cake a, there's the a few Lisa. adjectives. I'm just like there's a few adjectives I want to say, and then I think um, very broad, innovative storyteller. Okay, innovative storyteller is the first clue. David Byrne. <laughs> no. Okay, that was my guess. That was my first guess. You have it. You can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your guess? Gene Roddenberry. That Gene Roddenberry. That, that would qualify, but that is not it. Yeah. Good okay. Guess. Good guess. Innovative storytelling. Okay. Anybody out there? Real, I went real broad strokes. Okay. Oh, we're throwing it out? Jim Henson, we say. Good guess. Another good guess. But apparently the answer but is not. <laughs> you guys should go visit the Jim Henson lot, though, while you're here. It's a great lot. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. Any other guesses? George Lucas. George Lucas. I like Another that. good answer. But good. No. Apparently not. Okay. No. But... Shane uh, Michael Straczynski. That's a good, uh, good guess. It's not it, no. but it is a very. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I just heard that they're redoing that he's coming back. Yeah, which I'm very excited about myself because I'm a fan. Um, okay. We're moving on. Moving on. Next guess. Clue number two. Well, in line uh, with you're saying, visit the Jim Henson. I will say there is currently an exhibit. Um, dealing with this artist and their oeuvre in L.A. You did! Yes! Miyazaki! And I was going to bust out my jacket. I know. When you, came, when you showed up wearing it, yeah. I was like, oh my God, David. Yeah. And then I'm like, he won't know. He won't know. Well, it was unless... great because it was like, great jacket. And I was like, thank you. Yes, thank you. I will say no more. And this is part of why I know that this is a recorded podcast, so everyone apologize for lack of visuals. I have my Kiki's Delivery Service notebook. Mm -hmm. This is why I brought all my stuff up. Uh, My no-face bag. Um, My uh, phone case that has a bunch of the Ghibli characters on it. Mm. And my wallet, which is Totoro holding up a no-face mask. Uh, in front of his face, and then just general Totoro bliss, and my jacket. So, and this is just a small, small sampling of the merch I have. But I'm sure we're going to discuss that. So, I'm just going to put this here. 
So what's great, I, the point of this podcast is that we don't know everybody's thing. We don't know everyone's love. And so this is a learning podcast. So I am learning this all right now. Miyazaki is an artist that clearly yeah. this wonderful room knows all these people. And yes. I'm going to learn a lot about today. Very exciting. And now, all the stuff that you have, is yes. this stuff that you brought because you knew this? Or you're like, no, this is what you have in your pockets, in your purse, all day long anyway. I mean, truly, I mean, this is my phone case. This is my wallet. This is <laughs> my this is purse. It did, yeah, literally this is your just, shirt. This is my shirt that I wear all the time. This is my current journal where, you know, like my general notes kind of put stuff of which I have some Ghibli notes <laughs> because I'm that kind of geek. Um, and, uh, but yeah, these are all genuinely things I use on a daily basis and there's much more at my place. Okay. So let's go broad strokes for David <laughs> yes. and for anybody in the audience who may not exactly know yeah. what studio or director we're talking about. Can you give the broad strokes, please? Yeah. Mary? Yes. Broad strokes is Studio Ghibli, which I have a whole thing about the pronunciation of it um, based off of what the... I'll, I'll get into that okay. later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> again, did my research as Maddie Goff, my girlfriend, can testify. She saw me taking my notes, watching my YouTube videos. Um, but he is an amazing artist. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki is the um, artist, and he's made over... Uh, directed, uh, written, directed, produced over 11 feature um, animated films uh, in conjunction with Studio Ghibli, which he created in the 80s. Um, starting, uh, well, I won't say starting, but what the largest um, kind of feature that put him on the map, which was initially uh, a manga that he then translated into film was Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which is one of my favorites. Um, and then uh, the other, the, the, what's on my jacket, uh, Totoro, uh, came out in the late 80s. Um, and that was another kind of really launched him into uh, the next level of notoriety in Japan uh, and then kind of bridged him into um, America and uh, beyond and then uh, developed a relationship with Disney and then Spirited Away, which came out, I forget the exact year, uh, but that ultimately won an Academy Award uh, for Best Animated Feature and to me is kind of his magnum opus <laughs> masterpiece. Even I heard of Spirited Away. Yeah, yeah everyone, so everyone's kind of at least okay. heard of Spirited Away. Uh, I have a few other specific favorites dispersed throughout his oeuvre. Um, but uh, yes, and for me personally, um, I grew up with my neighbor Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service uh, and then kind of grew into, because he really, it, he uses children a lot as his protagonist. Often, for me, what I'm so grateful for, female protagonists, young female protagonists that um, I think are extremely... Um, uh, prescient in in um, how how women can and should be portrayed, and he also they're often young, earnest women, and then you kind of have the gray ladies I like to call the kind of middle aged women who are who are navigating uh, politics in a certain way, and then you often have the old crone archetype as well, the wise woman, and then a, just a wealth of other awesome female characters dispersed throughout. Um, so that was very um, significant to me. And obviously, I've realized the significance more and more as I've gotten older, but having these female role models um, and just more than one in a film, 
And also what I find really beautiful about his storytelling is it's very unexpected. And he takes months and years to meditate on certain plot lines and the amount of time, of course, it takes to animate anything in general. Of course, that's going to allow you to marinate in the story. Uh, but as a kid, I was growing up with Disney as well. And I love that sort of nice, succinct, structured storytelling and but bursting into musical song. But I was lucky enough that... Um, my best friend, Eve, who's still one of my best friends, who we've been trying to go to this exhibit. Maddie and I have been trying to go since it opened and we keep scheduling it. And then one of the four of us, her, she and her boyfriend, keeps booking something, which is great. Which but is we do want to go to the exhibit. Yeah. Um, but we grew up with the, that kind of alternative, more Eastern storytelling that is you know, not linear in the way that often the very anglicized you know, storytelling can be. So... Well, what's that, your origin story? Where did it begin? It began uh, in, I think, probably third grade. Okay. Um, my... So Eve, uh, her... Somehow her family had become aware. And my neighbor Totoro was, was my... Uh, popped my Miyazaki... Oh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, we gotcha. Yeah, we gotcha. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so she recommended, their family recommended it. We watched it. My whole family, we watched it and loved it. Uh, and that story is just... So a neighbor introduced it. Yeah, a literally. A fellow third grader yes. was like, I, because you this grew up good. in L.A. Yes, I did. Okay, no no neighbor Valley outside of L.A. is introducing Miyazaki yeah, to another yeah, yeah. neighbor. Not me in suburban New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That was not you that. had a cool neighbor because you're in cool Los Angeles. I, I was very lucky. And she was in Woodland Hills, so she was like very cool Valley, oh. like artsy. Parents are graphic artists, that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, and we watched it and um, loved it. And, and that's story really is what I feel of all of his stories, but the ones that seem more um, child-oriented or the ones that are, you know, at least, you know, uh, okay for kids to watch at a certain age, because like Princess Mononoke and other ones are incredible, but <laughs> very intense. There's a lot of carnage in some of them that should not be watched at a certain age. Um, but with Totoro, it centers around these two sisters moving into a new home, um, but really is about them dealing with their mother's illness and being visited by these spirits. And that to me, I grew up in a very magical environment, like really believing in magic and um, fantasy in general. I love Chronicles of Narnia. And, and uh, so I was already in those worlds and Miyazaki kind of pulls out um, archetypes and, and a lot of lore from Japanese culture, but makes it his own. Some are direct references, um, and, but often they're his own spin um, on these spirits that um, are in history and lore. So for me, Totoro is this huge, giant, amazing, magical creature that I just want to take a nap on, which is what the sisters do at certain points in the story. And I have a big, like again with the merch, I have a big silk screen of Totoro with Mei and Satsuki sleeping on him that's like above my bed at my place. And that was one of my first merch purchases, actually, soon after I got mine. Um, but I love that story. Then Kiki's Delivery Service was kind of my other, I would toggle between those two. Uh, and then that's when Mononoke, Princess Mononoke came out, but it was, <laughs> my dad went to see it and was like, I think we're gonna wait a little bit. Because uh, <laughs> I think it is one of his most powerful pieces really dealing with industry versus environment. Because that's the thing is that he 
really is such a humanist and such a political person. And Ghibli is a very politically active studio in Japan. They speak out, they have a whole newspaper that like they speak out against bad things happening. Well, that's something that struck me is like not just, you said mentioned Spirited yeah. Away won the yeah. Academy Award, yeah. but six of his 11 films were like in the top 10 grossing films ever in Japan. So obviously they're resonating. And I feel like he was the first who brought that, I don't want to say darkness, but seriousness yeah. to non like live action mm -hmm. to like anime, if mm -hmm. you will. What do you think allowed him to do that, especially in, you know, the Japanese culture and to sort of be the leader in that movement mm -hmm. to make anime, not just for children. Yeah. I mean, from what I'm, I'm in the midst of reading uh, a book, uh, you know, not an autobiography. I know he has one, but I'm, I'm currently reading one um, just kind of about his childhood. And he grew up, you know, in World War II, like in that, like as a child, he was witnessing in Japan um, just the atrocities and his family was directly related. His, his family was in the airplane business and in his films, mm. uh, airplanes are everywhere and he loves drawing them. Like that's the thing, he is this artist and from the, luckily, <laughs> I, I've been reading the top of the book which has a lot of his origin <laughs> so I can, uh, but basically he was always an innovative artist. He has an older brother and there was one time that he actually entered a competition and his art was clearly better, but they couldn't believe that he had done it. He was too young. Right. And so they still gave the award to his older brother, who now is like, no, that was ridiculous. He was the better yeah. artist. Um, but they still work together, which is wonderful. But coming out of um, such, you know, such a time of turmoil, mm -hmm. um, and there's this one anecdote that I was reading in this book where it, you know, to answer your question of his motivation, I think, certainly, um, was that he, um, there was a moment where, where he was living was bombed and his family was escaping and they, they were, they benefited from the war, which is something that he, you know, in further in his life, you know, feels <laughs> conflicted about mm -hmm. because, you know, it was a way to survive and it allowed him to truly survive this moment in time but they had a car and they were able to escape. And in his memory, he remembers a mother and a child coming to the family, like as they're leaving, going, please take us with you. Like we, we can't, you know, and the family refusing to um, and saying, wow. no, I'm so sorry, we can't help you. We, we just don't have enough room. And him as like a six-year-old child, feeling like it was his responsibility to help these people, that he held that with him. And, um, the woman uh, writing this biography was saying it feels like such a clear line to um, the stories he tells because he does often focus on, like, I mean, Ponyo, those kids are literally five years old. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, spanning probably from five to, like, mid-teens. Those are his primary protagonist mm -hmm. age. And I think he has a real faith in what children can do. And he really felt, as a child, he had the power to change something and he didn't do it and regrets wow. it. But the interesting twist is that then his older brother asked, is asked about this story. And he says, oh, no, no, it went completely differently. We were in the car and we knew that there was a, a, a father and a child and a mother nearby. And they had asked if they could join, but we literally didn't have room. Like, it was a much less high stakes. or I mean, it was still yeah. awful high stakes and nothing to, you know, just generally not a good situation. But 
that it was not this image that Miyazaki kept in his head. Right, held on to. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense as a small child, those memories just, you know, lodge in there. Um, but that kind of, you know, launched him into the storytelling. And I think because he has such a deep love of of art and drawing and um, really wanted to share stories in that way. And I feel, I mean, they're, when you do watch these films, they're so cinematic. Mm-hmm. And they also, would, I, one of my favorite things is you're watching it and you have to go, right, he made the choice to animate this moment. And sometimes it's just a shot of shoes or a lantern or the, the landscape. And it, to me, it's the breath of like the human experience. Mm-hmm. Like he chooses um, to portray life as it is. And there's plenty of you know, faster paced moments and a lot of you know, fun dialogue and all that sort of stuff. But he's not afraid to let stories exist as they can. Um, and I think that, you know, and I was watching a few different little, you know, documentary snippets and him talking about his process as well. And I think he just really um, wants to let the story come to him. Right. Um, and be inspired by other things. Like he really goes off and walks in the woods or like filmed his daily route to work so that he could then look back and be like, oh, I passed this person or whatever. Like he's very inspired by the world and doesn't want to be um, restricted by what structure should be. So what's really exciting about this podcast in general is that we all are fans of something. It's really mm-hmm. exciting. So obviously you're a fan of this 100%. <laughs> like sometimes we yeah. ask like on a scale of one to 10, yeah. I know you're an 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the 100%. good news. So what is your daily, weekly interaction with Miyazaki films? Mm. Is it like it's on the background? Is it once a week? Is it when you're, you know, on yeah. your Peloton? Like what, yeah. is, <laughs> what does that look like for you in, uh, in, in your life? <laughs> I would say merch-wise, always in my life, because I usually do have this cute little no-face bag. Okay. So at least once or twice a week, if not more, somebody sees my no face bag if I'm at a Starbucks or whatever and they're like, oh, no face. And I'm like, yeah. And then we go, what's your favorite? You know, and then Uh. there's a whole conversation about that. Uh, Or if I'm wearing one of my, I mean, I'd have multiple shirts and I have a really cute Kiki's delivery service sweater, like box lunch, not to promo, (laughs) but they have the best licensed Ghibli merch. It's amazing. So you're getting, you're getting real life interactions with with your apparel. It's a conversation starter. It's always a conversation. I love it. Because some people are like, this is my, because you know, what we love is not necessarily what we want to share. Yeah. So yours is a very social uh, thing. It very much is. And I think it's fun because if someone has seen it, because it is, it's, you know, it's pretty widespread, but there are plenty of people that haven't seen the movies. And um, when it comes to interaction with actually watching stuff, that over the past year, um, Maddie had seen um, a few of his films, but then we kind of started in our courtship, uh, the, the leading into our full I Really Like You moment, we're starting to go through different uh, Miyazaki films together. Well, this is always a question I have too. Yes, like when is how does the partner play in? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's like, I need to show young Frankenstein to anyone that I'm dating. That was a very important thing, you know. I love the Fantastic Four, but this is something that is a very personal thing for me. Like, these are, this is my family, like, that is my comic book family. But I don't share it the way, the way you're sharing it. It's like, this is very personal. Right. But for you, how did Maddie deal? Like, were you just like, by the way, here's this film. And are you like watching her in the corner? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Well, let's just say she's currently wearing a Totoro shirt. (laughs) 
So I have infiltrated. Um, but she's been very supportive. And I actually will say, and I, I love that I get to talk about this, but really on the precipice of us getting together. Because we've known each other since 2018 through improv and, and um, all sorts of... Emails. That, we'll, we'll, do a whole or, we'll do a whole origin story there uh, at some point. But literally days before we actually like kissed for the first time, <laughs> um, we, uh, I had invited her over to come watch Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind because that was one that she hadn't seen. And uh, literally our, our mutual friend texted us earlier that day and said, hey, go to box lunch at uh, Topanga Mall. They have a bunch of Ghibli merch. And uh, this is it's like a good... 30, 40 minute drive from where I am. Uh, we're like, let's do it. Cause it was like, I'm gonna do this thing with this person that I think I'm feeling a lot of things about. And uh, we went and, and again, doesn't have the, the journey or the relationship with Ghibli that I do, but totally supported me going into this store and buying like so much merch. Like I got like a no face pillow and like a sweatshirt and that, okay. The tie in with the sweatshirt is this great, other Totro sweatshirt. It's like got you know him on the front and all this. And I was like, uh, I had already grabbed too many other things. And I was like, gosh, I really don't need to buy this. I don't need another sweatshirt. She said, but it's so cute and you should get it. I was like, okay, I get it. And it was like super oversized. And then a few days later in the moment where we had had a kind of uh, inadvertent double date with two friends and then they are one of our dear best friends, Dr. Erin McDonald, who's a science consultant for Star Trek and her now fiance, Aaron. And uh, Aaron said, there was a certain moment where she's like, Aaron, I think we're going to go and we're not taking Mary home. And um, Maddie and I had to repark my car. And as we're walking back, it's cold. You know, it's like 12 or something in, in, at night. And she's like, oh, I'm cold. And I was like, oh, let me just put my Totoro sweater over you. And there was like this moment where we were just like in a Totoro sweater. And we were like, this is nice. And then it was like, okay, great. You're warm. Good, 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 good. We did by the next morning, actually, kiss. It's all worked out real well. <laughs> Yay! So thanks, Ghibli. But it is funny because Ghibli definitely has, uh, you know, been a part of that. And, and she's been lovely in watching the films with me. Uh, but yeah, over the past year, we've kind of moved through. Uh, and most, well, we literally just, in prep for this, did rewatch Kiki's Delivery Service, which is a delight and such a metaphor for being an artist. Um, but we, I kept holding back on Princess Mononoke because, as I said, it's very intense. One of his best and really sharp commentary, again, on the gray of, of who, is, who is right. Uh, the industry or nature, is there a middle ground? Can we, can we find a way for all of us to exist? And so she kept being like, we should watch it. I'm like, it's just really intense. Like every night I just kept being like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm in the mood to like deal with. Is this what I want to watch before I go to bed? It's yeah. always that. Yeah, yeah, it's that thing. But we did eventually, like in a month or two ago, watch that one. And it is one of her favorites, if not her favorite. And I agree because the she's characters. Nodding. She's yep, nodding. she's nodding. There she is. She's right. I, I, oh. I love that you're talking about like, with the filmmaking, the moments in between. Yeah. The moments that are just the daily life, if you will, like the observations that you don't see often, you yeah. know, in anime or animation in general. Um, and I feel like that plays in, I, I read, and I'm not sure, maybe you can yeah. um, expand on this, but there's a no-cut rule when they do foreign distribution that there are absolutely no cuts allowed mm. to make the <laughs> That's my alarm going off. Um, <laughs> tell no, you to take no my cut, vitamins. No cut rule. <laughs> yeah, no. the no cut rule. So tell us about that. 
Yes, I mean, I, I, I do believe I have heard that as well. And I think that that, you know, is the, the integrity um, that Miyazaki really tries to keep with his work. And I'm so grateful because I would not have want, wanted a cut version, especially Totoro and Kiki. But Totoro, there are just very distinct moments where it is this pair of shoes or like it's just these long breaths of like them standing at the bus stop. And it just, it feels very real. And as a kid, I was just like blown away by yeah. the fact that you could take that time. Um, I know that there are sometimes, cause I, I grew up mainly with the dubbed versions, but I have of course gone and back and, and, and seen the subtitled versions with the, the original voices. Um, I do know that there are certain um, dubbings that shift stuff for American audiences mm-hmm. um, that it's fun to observe. Um, well, we all yep. saw Squid Games. We know yeah, that it yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but I do believe, like, even that, it's often just to help with clarity. And it, it's often, like, cultural references that an American audience would know because they're, they're not, they don't live in Japan and they don't know that this type of building, you know, in Spirited Away, there's a moment where I think she says, it's a bathhouse. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't think she says that in the original because it's everyone in, like they're like yeah that's the bath that, that yeah. looks like that bathhouse down the street so I think there's moments like that um that they'll just tweak for those sakes mm-hmm. um and I really do like watching both versions and I think with Totoro I grew up also with the 20th Century Fox this is before Disney and so there's it's a different dubbed version than what you would if you watch it on HBO Max mm-hmm. it's with the Fanning Sisters which is lovely but I grew up with those voices. And because, you know, as a kid, you watch that version so many times, I can't watch another version of it, especially whoever did the voice of May, because she has this tiny little voice that there's this one part where she picks up a bucket and it has a hole in it. And she goes, there's no bottom. <laughs> and like, I can't, if I hear anyone say it in any other way, I'm like, nope, that's not May. That's just, <laughs> that's not how you say that line. So, so yeah. you went to Juilliard. I did. And we've had a number of Juilliard people in, on our podcast. And so this is, I, I we actually haven't asked this, but you just keep referring to these movies in such a way that it's clearly hitting you as an artist, too, and how you Mm storytell. So how has that affected you as Mm. a storyteller? You know, was it something that even while you were in Juilliard, is there like, do they even ask the questions like, hey, you know, things in your life? Yeah. Can you bring them into the experience? Was this something that kind of kept like, yeah. was this something that kind of came in during the Juilliard experience? Or is this something that just you personally just keep bringing in to I your, think you know, acting? Certainly, even in just the respect that, like, watching those films um, allowed me to, especially Kiki's Delivery Service, which they're all often, it, he deals so much with environment and nature and animals. I'm a big animal person. Um, but in Kiki's... Big animals or just yeah. lots of animals? Uh, uh, you know, both. <laughs> both. Okay, you know, I am a You're big animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I am. Actually, we're, Maddie and I are really into cows right now. It's Great. a whole... Con- we found which cows we look like on Instagram. It's a whole thing. Done. Wait, what? I'm a Highland cow with some hay coming out of her mouth. It's a whole... Yeah, it's great. Yeah, she's not even... (laughs) Everyone in this room right now is on their Instagram going like, like, wait, what? I'm a Highland cow. Maddie's a speckled brown cow. It's great. Um, And in fact, in Kiki's Delivery Service, there are cows at one point and uh, it was very exciting. But um, in Kiki's, I had this moment speaking to like the evolution of my relationship with the show and tying into your question <laughs> but is that I grew up loving it and it's she's a young witch and she's um coming into her own but then she meets this artist and um the another young you know slightly older but young woman um 
And in the process of losing her powers and needing to reclaim them, the artist says, you know, there was a time where I couldn't paint. Um, I just wasn't inspired. I was just kind of replicating what other people had created. And so I had to take a break. And it's so exactly what Miyazaki does as an artist. And Kiki's is actually based off of a book. And apparently that aspect of the plot is nowhere in the book. But Miyazaki often just like takes the concept and goes, I'm going to make this mine, which I think is awesome. And, and like, who's the best adapter? Like Shakespeare was the best adapter. He was a great writer, but he was adapting. And it, this, is, this does tie into the Juilliard stuff. Um, but speaking to how that filmed helped me. I rewatched it in high school, I remember, and was like, oh my God, this is just like what I need to hear as an artist. And so then when I would be at Juilliard and be stressed or feeling like, uh, you know, I was at the dregs of my creative um, ability, uh, I would think about Kiki's, I would maybe rewatch it. Spirited Away, actually, uh, Richard Feldman, one of our main uh, scene study teachers, and at the time, one of the administrators, in uh, fourth year, and this actually ties into Trek, because Mary Wiseman, who plays Tilly, uh, is a huge Miyazaki fan as well. And uh, that bonded us. And we were in school together at Juilliard, along with Noah Averbach-Katz. Um, we were all in the same class. Very fun facts. Um, but in our fourth year, Richard, we would have community meetings every Tuesday, and sometimes we would have you know, a guest speaker or whatnot. And <laughs> one day we come in, and he's like, we're going to watch Spirited Away. And Mary Wiseman and I were like, oh my God. And everyone else is like, what is this? And um, like, shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, no, literally the whole time. And there were like moments where people would laugh at stuff that is like not supposed to be funny in that way. And Mary and I were like, you don't understand. Um, but so that bonded us in a lovely way. Um, but part of why he brought it was again, this innovative storytelling and uh. the way that the plot is not um, typically linear it's it's very unwestern in its in its way of telling story and um so i there is directly you know that was um something that they felt was good to expose us to um but then it does it ties in to you know shakespeare or just like i think again yeah as a storyteller i want to tell stories that are unexpected and that's something too that you know maddie and i both as she's also a brilliant writer and that's part of the storytelling that she likes to have is the the unknown the gray the mystery to be unfolded and twists and turns that um maybe a, a, a western lens a very you know patriarchal western lens might be like no no the climax should come here and you're like maybe not maybe it's going to come here and here and here and here. Um, and I think that it's allowed me to have a more expansive view of, of how stories should be told, even though I do love structure. <laughs> do, do you think that age is what keeps pulling him out of retirement? Yeah. Because yeah. with age comes wisdom or yeah. at least life experience. Yeah. And that next phase, I feel like each film is like a decade yeah. of his life a yes. little bit. Totally. I think it is. He can't help himself. Like that's in yeah. some of the documentaries you can see, he just like, he, he gets an idea and like, he just can't rest. Yeah. Um, and I think too, it's interesting because his journey as an artist is allowing rest or like in Kiki's delivery service, allowing being present in the world to be part of his process. Mm -hmm. So even though it's very vigorous and obviously when they're in the thick of animating and those hours, which I just deeply respect, you know, the hours that people take to animate anything is just unbelievable. But he factors in moments of it for him to be in the world and live his life. And I think that's something that I try and embody as well is because I'm, 
constantly inspired and really, you know, am so thankful to be an artist in the world and always observing. But because of that, I don't necessarily take a large vacation to get away from stuff. It's like often it is me taking a hike or, you know, letting my breaks be a part of my process. Yes. Uh, and you really do have to navigate that because sometimes you do just need to zone out and, and watch some fun shows or watch, watch a Ghibli film. But I do think that that, I relate to that. Like yeah. I feel like I would vibe with him in that way that it's such a gift to be an artist and to be able to observe the world um, as part of your job. Well, so. as you were at Juilliard, I was downtown at NYU Yay! studying at Strasbourg. And Strasbourg yeah! used to say, like, why would you ever put on headphones to walk around the city? Yeah. Why would you put on headphones? Like, everything out there is, like, yeah. to observe yeah. and to register as an artist. Yeah. So, all right, before we get to the love letter, one quick question. Okay. You mentioned the pronunciation yes. of oh, the yes. studio. So I want to give you a chance to Great. vent or, you know. Yes, I did. I just wrote down the notes because I wanted to confirm. Because okay. there's, at the end of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, in, in the DVD that I have, I know, DVD. Um, but uh, It shows your love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deep dedication. <laughs> uh, but there's a little documentary that they made at the time, uh, which I forget exactly when that came out. So it's, but. So basically, Miyazaki was inspired, because he does, he loves planes. He loves drawing planes. There, th that whole aspect of, um, uh, his, it, it, oeuvre. <laughs> I keep using that word because it's fun to say. Um, but basically, there's a Caproni CA907 aircraft, Italian aircraft, that was nicknamed Ghibli, um, which comes from the Arabic of Ghibli, which means hot, dry, hot wind facing the south, which was, part, you know, again, hot air and flying and all that good stuff. But that pronunciation is gib as opposed to what I've been saying, ghibli. And technically in Japanese, they pronounce it jibbery, which I'm sure I'm slightly butchering. But um, it literally is this thing where he was inspired to name it after this aircraft because he liked how it sounded, but still then pronounced it in his own way. Um, so often people say, what you're mispronouncing it is like, yes, if you were pronouncing it in the Italian, you would not call it Ghibli, but that's certainly, you know, across the board, those who are a part of the company pronounce it within that realm, so Ghibli or Ghibli. Um, but it, yeah, so, and there's a one great clip from a documentary about him where he just goes, because uh, it's like, you know, what's the future of the company and all this sort of stuff, and he's like, I don't know, like, it's all gonna, it's all gonna dissipate, you know, I named it after an airplane, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and that's the beauty, is like, he cares so deeply, and yet he also understands the, the nature of life, which is fleeting, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the bittersweet, beautiful quality of all of his stories, is you're kind of like, oh. <laughs> you gotta be careful to ask an artist about their own art. It's like, yeah. it's, you get to interpret it, but if, whenever you ask, yeah. like, yeah. you know, if you ask Bowie, like, what do you think yeah. about this song? You're like, I don't know, I was just walking down yeah. the street and I wrote it. You're like, no, it was yeah, yeah. Be epic. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I interpreted it that way. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's never, never meet your heroes in a way. Yeah. Uh, it's like, just keep them a little bit at a distance. Yes. So, before we get into the very last thing, the love letter, I always like to ask this, and you're definitely, you've hit a lot of the marks, but I think I just want, like, a clear from you. Yeah. I always ask why. It's a little pop psychology we do on the podcast, because I genuinely believe that every fanaticism comes from a deep place. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, I love the Fantastic Four. And to give you an example, it's because 
uh, at 12 years old, my parents divorced, and I think I'm, I really bonded with this family mm. that yeah. stayed together, that fought together, that fights together, that laughs together. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. That's why... I just thought I liked, you know, big rock men and guys who yep. were on fire, but it's actually, I think, family. It kept it a family. So is there something you think, like, to your heart or to your soul of, like, if you had to boil it down into, like, a sentence or two, like, mm-hmm. why for you? Music? Yeah. I think it's the combination of these young female protagonists that were so significant to me. Chihiro and Spirited Away, I think, is one of our best heroines or heroes ever, Uh, a young 10-year-old girl who I happened to be around 10 when I saw her embody this insane journey (laughs) that Spirited Away is, and she, and, uh, but Kiki, they're just, Nausicaa, like, I literally could keep going. To me, that's what's significant even more so now, uh, to know that I had those, um, to, to let me know that I could exist in the world and that power, Um, and then, on a broader note, again, his innovative storytelling and use of, because he is such an environmentalist and he really does um, see the gray and the tragedy of the progression of industry. Um, And I think I, as a very empathetic person who does love big animals (laughs) and small ones, it speaks to the conflict I feel in existing in this world where we cannot change everything. And um, he just speaks to that bittersweet quality of existing as a human when you can't change everything, but maybe you can affect like the person next to you. Mm-hmm. And there is so much kindness. Rewatching Kiki's Delivery Service just now, it's filled with so much kindness, people being genuinely kind to each other. So within the chaos, within the gray, uh, there is room for love. And I think he really, really believes in love. Amazing. So, yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful note to end on. And speaking of ending on love, we, we have a love letter, if you'd be so kind. Yeah. Yes. Segway. for love. Love. Clap for love. Love. We love love. All right. So we end every podcast with a love letter. So if you'd be so kind to have, it's an audible love letter, of course, yeah. to say, so dear Ghibli or yeah. Miyazaki, however you yeah. want to say. And, you know, it uh, could be funny, could be silly, yeah. could be sweet, you know, and if you could end with love, Mary. Yeah, great. All right, dear, dear Mr. Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli, thank you for inspiring me to see the world in a different way, for teaching me that young women have the ability to change the world, and that our ability to see each other and speak with one another um, is what can help make the world a better place. Thank you for constantly challenging yourself to be a better artist and for caring so deeply about your art and, and never giving up and continuing to create until I'm sure your very last breath. <laughs> um, which hopefully is a long time yes, away. Yes, which is far, far away. <laughs> um, and thank you uh, for all the cute little creatures and spirits that you have created that allow me to have a lot of cool merch <laughs> and allow me to make connections with people I've never, never met before. Um, I hope you're well. <laughs> And, um, yeah, thank you.
Love, Mary. Excellent. Mary Chifo, everyone. Okay, I didn't mention this in the intro, Claire, but what's really fun, as you know, is that Mary's girlfriend is my friend Maddie Goff, which is essentially my last name, but switching out the D with the G. And her that's her name, Maddie Goff. I am Magadoff. And we met through a convoluted train of emails where an email was sent to her. She reached out to me, and then we learned, oh my gosh, we actually both are improvisers in Los Angeles. Like she could have reached out to me and been, you know, a, a dairy farmer from Iowa and was like, hey, you know, we reached out, like here's an email that I think was sent to you. So the fact that she and I have become actual friends and improv together and let alone that her girlfriend is this wonderful woman, Mary, it just felt like a lot of a lot of good vibes going into our very lot, first live. A podcast. lot of good vibes. Nice. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Great vibes. I have never seen any of these movies. And it's such a joy to see her love, her deep love. And I've heard about Princess Mononoke. I've heard about Spirited Away. And I feel like people listening to me right now are just shaking their head, going, David, how have you still not seen these movies? Uh, it's possible because there's a lot of things to do in the world. There's a lot of television shows and a lot of movies and a lot of books. And I've read and seen and watched and heard a lot of things. But it's such a beautiful thing, this podcast, because it continually introduces me to new things and also gets me excited finally to watch these movies because I've heard they're all good. But right, when you're finally, just like you guys listening to this who have not seen the movies, for those of you who haven't, right, Claire? I feel like, it's such a fun thing, this podcast, because I always need a bit of an extra push to finally check that thing out. So when you're hearing it heartfelt from someone that you trust, then I'll, I'm finally going to do the deep dive. Like it's it's one thing to read about a restaurant review, but when your best friend says, oh my gosh, you got to get this fried chicken. It's the greatest thing you've ever put in your mouth. That's when you finally go because it's coming from a place and a person that you trust and know. Um, so Mary's so cool and she just loved it so much that it's like, all right, Princess Mononoke, you're going in the you're going in the queue. Yes. Soon. It well, yes. And I am I am very excited to hear that you're gonna watch it. Now I wanna pick up just a little bit during the episode, we I spoke to Mary a little bit about uh, the no cuts rule for the studio when they had an international release. And I didn't really get a chance to mm. expand on this, but the full story that I read, the urban legend, if you Ooh, will, is will. that when Princess Mononoke was going to get an American release, which was with Miramax Films, uh, they actually sent a Japanese uh, katana to Harvey Weinstein <laughs> to mm. to underline the no cuts rule. So this is <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. Like it's I've verified it on a few places and I've also seen that it may be an urban legend, but it's kind of a cool story if you can imagine, you know, so many years ago just working at Miramax and getting, you know, uh, <laughs> a relic sword from Japan sent to you. I want to know how did that get delivered? Like UPS, USPS, did someone have to sign off for it? When they held it in their hands, did it like poke out of the box? And you're like, whoa, that's kind of sharp. No. <laughs> I want to know. I hope it's true. What's the weirdest thing you've ever mailed, David? Oh my gosh. 
it's probably some sort of a food item. I think food items are kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, never a sword. No throwing stars. No, uh, you know, I didn't. I never cut off someone's head and put it in, you know, a cooler with dry ice. Well, just I, to make a point. It's funny you mentioned that body parts or oh. you know, body <laughs> excrements. There's some things you can't mail through the U.S. Postal Service, David. And I'm just going to leave that right there, and we can talk about that later on another oh episode my. of Fanatics. Oh my gosh! If you guys haven't clicked five stars on this podcast yet, just on that we kind may of mail content. you something. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Get ready. We know where you live. No, we don't. So again, please do subscribe and leave and share and all the things. We love having you guys here. It's it's been an absolute joy doing this whole process with you, uh, starting this wonderful podcast. And check us out next Thursday uh, because you know that's when it's going to drop. So we'll see you then. Bye. All right, gang, before we let you guys go, let me tell you a little bit about next week's guest. We have on Peng Peng. Yeah, you know her. TikTok. Do I have to even say more? I won't, but I guess I could. Hey, she was even on the Canadian Olympic gymnastics team. That's kind of a cool fun fact. And she's coming on to talk about the Nintendo Switch. So get out your thumbs and get ready to play or just your ears and enjoy. See you next Thursday. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? No one really knows. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? No one really knows. It's a life lesson, cause there's never really a wrong choice. Wrong. Untoasted bagels are wrong choices. Ah, fair enough.